Well, it's good to be back with you guys. Uh, I, I know last week, um, Zach just brought it, and I, I know Zach did a phenomenal job. And so this week, I'm excited to be back with you guys and uh, just to continue on with this series. And today, I want to start out with probably a, a way that many of us, um, a familiar game. Anybody like games? We are not very competitive here. Okay, um, I'm competitive. And what that means is not only do I like games, I really like to win at games. Anybody else feel me on that, right? Growing up, there was always this game in elementary school that my teachers always played. It is a game that most of us probably have heard of. Heard of. It's a game most of us have even probably played, whether it be in the classroom or outside the classroom. But <clears throat> it was a game that these teachers loved to play especially with a classroom full of rowdy, obnoxious, ADHD, cannot sit still type of kids. And it was those type of kids that this, this game would become pretty normal for many of my teachers because the classroom would get really loud and it'd get not only just rowdy and obnoxious, but it almost would be borderline chaos. And then the teacher would stand there and they would utter Two words, and these two words had almost the power to totally shift the dynamic in the room. And all of a sudden, amidst all the noise, you heard the teacher just say, Simon says. It is like game on, right? Even for me, which I was most likely like on a table or something, and I hear Simon says, I'm like, we're about to win. And it's super simple. We're going to play real quick. And here we go, right? Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your shoulders. Jamie, you're not good at this game. <laughs> Simon says, put your hands in the air. Now, Simon says, wave them around like you just don't care. Good shot. See, you guys are good. See, there's this moment, though, in the game. Where? See? Yeah. And then all of a sudden... This is what would happen. The teacher would then just start. Simon says, put him down. Um, but there comes a moment in the room where the teacher would just move on. There would never be that last Simon says. There also would never be the moment where the teacher would try to trip me up, get me to fall. And for a competitive kid, I didn't like that. And here's why. Because there's this moment in this game where the teacher is saying, Simon says this, Simon says that, Simon says to do this. And a lot of times it was Simon says, find your seat. Okay, now Simon says to sit quietly. Now Simon says to put your hands in your lap. And then the teacher would just start teaching math. And I'm like, Simon did not say we're going to teach math. Number one. Number two. Simon never tried to get me to fall or fail, which means nobody lost the game, which means everybody won, which means I didn't really win. And I didn't like that. Because there's always that kid who wants to win the game. But the teacher wasn't actually playing the game, were they? The teacher was just trying to get these little kids to follow along with their little laws, I mean rules, that we're supposed to follow. 
And if we're, if we're looking at our own lives and how does Simon Says fit into our life? And even bigger question, how does Simon Says fit in with anything in this book, right? I think we do this game in our lives a lot. I mean, we do it with kids, right? In the classroom or even if you have little kids. Simon Says, pick up your Legos now. Simon Says, put all of your matchbox cars back in the tote. Okay, Simon Says, sit at the dinner table. We play this with our little kids. But we even sometimes play it in the form of like work even. We create these little like initiatives or guidelines of like, okay, well, the boss says do this and then you can do this. The boss says do this and then. And, and we even do it in just even with our friends. Ah, if you do this, then this. And if you, we play this game often in our lives. And the reality is, is that when you look at not only our lives, but even if you look at this and the stories in here, this idea of following along with the rules and the laws is not something that is mind-blowingly new, believe it or not. From the very beginning, we've talked about this even in Genesis, when God first created the world, he, he kind of gave one ultimate Simon says, right? You can do whatever you want in the garden, just do not eat the fruit of this one tree. But Adam and Eve were not very good at this game. And they ate of the fruit. They didn't do what Simon said. And you fast forward hundreds of years later and, and, and you get to the point where now even Jesus is alive and there's this moment where we start to understand that there are Jewish people, Pharisees, who would be in charge of enforcing the law. And if you were a young Jewish person, you would have grown up knowing the Mosaic covenant, knowing the covenant, the law given to Moses, and now it's been passed down year after year after year, generation to generation, all the way to you as a young boy or young girl. You would know what the Mosaic law is. You would know what the covenant is. You would know what to do and what not to do. And this law was something that you were supposed to abide by. You were supposed to follow to the T. And for so many in these times, there was these guys, the Pharisees, who were in charge of kind of upholding the law, instructing and teaching the law. If you're new to the Bible, these Pharisees would have been kind of the, the highest priests. They would have known the law inside and out. They would have been the ones who would have been trusted. If you had a question about it, you could go to them and ask them and they would instruct you on it. You see, but there was an issue with the Pharisees. They were incredibly legalistic. Incredibly legalistic. And that meant that they enforced the law at the expense of others. They enforced the law at the expense and the intention even of others and, and the law itself. If you were to go back and, and read of this law that they would uh, have to abide by and, and live in, it's 613 things. We're going to go through those one by one today. Y'all think I'm joking though. I hope you guys have like no lunch plans. <laughs> touche, touche. Simon says no way. No, there's, there's 613 of these laws, though. 
613. I don't know about you. I have a hard time remembering two things, let alone 613. And all of these laws, all of these kind of guidelines were set out, and the Pharisees were the ones who were the ones who were enforcing it. And they saw the law as the highest order, the highest thing to abide by. And that was an issue because they looked and they sought adoration essentially for their holiness as a Pharisee. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at all the things I know and I can remember and I can teach. Look at me and look how bad you are. They're so focused on the law that they missed the actual need for a savior in their life. And many of these Pharisees not only were so focused on the law, they not just missed their need for the savior, but a lot of them didn't even recognize the true savior when he was standing right in front of them. When Jesus had encounters with the Pharisees, they would not even believe the words coming out of his mouth, let alone believe that he was the one true living God. You see, the law was never designed to be our savior. The law was never designed to be our savior. Even in the Old Testament, the law that God gave his people was never designed to be their savior. And the law that we live in, the laws that we follow today, it is not our savior. It never was designed to be our savior. You can almost paint this picture and imagine this picture in your mind. You can almost see Jesus sitting there. And as the crowd slowly gathers on a nice, warm, but not too hot summer's day, you hear more and more people start to gather. And as they find their seat to listen to him teach, the crowd goes quieter and quieter as he starts to open his mouth and teach. As he looks out and he has his 12 disciples near him and he sees all this crowd sitting there, he starts to talk about this exact thing. There was many moments in Jesus' life where he encountered the Pharisees. He encountered the law. And he would start to teach and he would look at the Pharisees that were probably still listening, but from a great distance away somewhat because they weren't going to get too close to this man. Because this Jesus was not like them. This Jesus was not like them. He, he wasn't the one who really preached all these laws and taught all these laws, although everybody called him rabbi and called him master. He was different. So the Pharisees, as they're listening a little bit far away, as Jesus starts to teach, and Jesus starts to talk to his people, starts to talk to the crowd and his disciples. And he, in some ways, kind of points to him and he's like, look at these Pharisees. These men know what they're talking about. Listen to them, but don't do as they do. Listen to their words, listen to their instruction, but don't, don't do as they do. You see, these men, they walk around and they look for your adoration. They look for your applause. They walk around puffing their chest out. Look how holy I am and look how unholy you are. Look how clean I am, but look how dirty your life really is. And as Jesus starts talking to him, you can, you can start to feel the kind of unsettling moments of the Pharisees start to get a little bit uncomfortable. 
He's talking about us. Yes, Jesus is talking about you Pharisees. And as the crowd listens, you can start to understand that they're starting to look at things through a different lens. The lens no longer of just the law, but rather the lens of a Savior who's coming to change and shift the paradigms ahead. You can hear the master's voice as he instructs them. You can feel the weight of his words settle on the crowd. You can feel the importance of what he is saying. And although we as the crowd may not fully understand every single dynamic word he speaks, we start to breathe a little bit easier. Because the weight of these scholars, of these Pharisees, is slowly starting to fall away off our shoulders. As they've tried to put so much more weight on my back, Jesus is sitting here saying, take it off. My yoke is light. Listen to what they say, but don't do as they do. Because everything they do is to garner your gaze. You see, for these teachers, these Pharisees, their Savior in a lot of ways would have been defined as the law. If I just stick to this, if I just follow along with this, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. If I can just cling to this, I'll be fine. This is a story that's found in Matthew 23. Verses one through seven, this is what it says. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do, is done for people to see. They, they make their phylacteries. These are boxes that would have been tied to their hands and their heads wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Jesus is sitting here and he's instructing the crowds. He's instructing his disciples about the reality that the Pharisees have an ego problem. But Jesus is a lot more polite than I would have been about that. Look at what they do and here's why they do it. You see, as Jesus is painting this picture, Jesus is also revealing the deep truths within this. He's revealing that the law created some heavy burdens. And these scholars, these Pharisees, were here to put them on you. It says they put the weight on people's shoulders, but yet they do not lift a finger to help take them off. It's almost as if Jesus is setting up this grid here that this is what the law says, but this is what I have come to say. The law says, follow all these rules and do all these things and get really good at it. But Christ says, follow me. The law says, sacrifice these animals, atone for your sins. But Christ says, I have sacrificed for you. 
The law says, wear these scrolls, wear these boxes, put on these tassels. And Jesus says, come and put on me. See, Jesus is radically shifting the perspective here. As the Pharisees were burden bringers to the people, Jesus comes to be a burden taker. The Pharisees were burden bringers and Jesus is a burden taker. And a lot of times we sit here and you're like, that sounds really great, Kyle. But what in the world, how does that look for us today? I'm glad you asked. It looks like, this is what it looks like today for us. is when we only see Christianity as a burdensome set of rules and guidelines to follow rather than a savior to cling to. If we only see Jesus and the Jesus we know in this book as a guy who came and put more rules to follow and to hang out with rather than the savior to cling to and the savior to find freedom in, we miss the point. We miss the savior. The law was never designed to be our savior. If all we see is law and rules, we miss the savior. And the law was never designed to be it. He talks about how these Pharisees, they they try to garner your gaze. Look at me, look at what I've done. Look at how big my, my boxes are. Look at how long my tassels are. It's everything for show. Look how holy I am and how unholy you are. A lot of us probably feel that tension. If you've ever tried church hopping sometimes, and when you walk into a church for the first time, and maybe you feel like, I don't know if I really fit in here. I remember going to a buddy's church uh, one time, and I walked in, and I, I walked in in a similar outfit. I had jeans on and a t-shirt. I live in t-shirts. I'm already starting to sweat really bad up here in long sleeves. And so I, I walked in with my t-shirt and my jeans on and my sneakers. And I was greeted by a dude in a three-piece suit. And he said, uh, good morning. And I was like, good morning. I've had my Red Bull. It's great. And I go and sit by my buddy, and he's sitting in there in his dress, slacks, shirt, tie, looking all fly. And I'm over here in my jeans, <laughs> Nikes, and T-shirt. And I remember thinking to myself, somebody doesn't fit in here. How does this look for us? It looks for us maybe in ways that you have to wear certain clothes or you have to have certain look to fit in and come here. Or maybe it's you have to sing these songs and only these songs and you have to stick to this genre of music and only this genre of music. And if you stray outside of that, you're really not going to fit in and be welcomed here. Or, or there's other places maybe where it's, hey, you have to give this much and tithe this much. Otherwise, anything less is actually unacceptable. There's even the tension sometimes within religious communities that you have to go to only certain schools or certain universities, certain colleges. Otherwise, 
Anything else is not as good. When we see religion as only a set of rules, we miss the Savior. And the law was never designed to be our Savior. It was never designed to be the Savior. You see, if you even go back just a few chapters in this same exact gospel, Matthew 5, Jesus would be sitting there and he'd be talking about this exact thing and who he is and what he has come to do. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or abolish the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but rather I have come to fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What's intriguing in this text is as Jesus is sitting there and he's having this conversation and he's talking about this thing, the law, there would have been this possible assumption that Jesus, the Savior, would have come to get rid of the law and put on this whole new thing. Remember that the Jews were looking for a savior and their idea of a savior more than likely would have been a strong, warlike, built, chiseled type of Gerard Butler looking king. But Jesus wasn't that. He didn't fit their assumptions maybe. He didn't fit their mold. And so he's not coming to abolish something. He's coming to fulfill it. He didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. And, and he didn't do things and oppose the word of God. It's not like Jesus came and he said, yeah, I know what like, you know, the word of God is. I know what the law is. I know all that. I'm just not going to do it. It's not that at all. Jesus didn't come and oppose the word that God gave to Israel. Rather, he lived his life in total fulfillment and freedom through him that the Pharisees could never offer. It's not that he opposed the word of God. He lived his life in total fulfillment of the word of God to offer us total freedom under the word of God. And he didn't add anything to the law. It's not like he came and added all these new type of laws. The thing that Jesus added to the law was his complete, perfect obedience, fulfillment. Something that we could never do. Something that we could never do, Jesus offers the law. And he fulfills the law. He fulfills what the prophets spoke about him. He fulfilled the doctrinal teachings of the law and the prophets and that he, bought, he brought with him full revelation of God the Father and God himself. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets and the prophecy of them in that he is the promised one showing the reality behind the shadows of the Old Testament. He fulfilled the moral and the legal demands of the law and the prophets and that he not just fully obeyed them, 
but he also interpreted them in a way that we can understand as truth. And he fulfilled the penalty of the law and the penalty of the prophets for us by his death on the cross, taking the penalty that we deserved and placing it upon him on the cross. Jesus doesn't come to abolish the law. He comes to fulfill it. Because the law was never designed to be our savior. The law was never designed to be our savior. As religion often says, do these things and you can get salvation. Jesus's command was super simple. Follow me. Follow me. He institutes this shift from wearing these things on your exterior, the scrolls and the tassels, to now believe in them in your heart. The cross works better. No, 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 sorry. The cross works when you wear as your identity and not as your accessory. The cross works when we wear as our identity and not just a fancy accessory. And I think there's probably some of us maybe here watching online, maybe even in our past, where we've opted to wear the cross as an accessory rather than our identity. Because if you wear the cross as your identity, that's tough. That's uncomfortable. It's not clean. It's not fun sometimes. It gets you in trouble even. But when you wear it as an accessory, you can choose when to tuck it under your shirt and when to let it hang out for the whole world to see. You know what I'm saying? The cross works when you wear it as your identity and not your accessory. And this was the moment we got to see just a few short weeks ago. When Andy took the step in getting baptized, the thing that I kept thinking to myself in conversations with Andy was, was there was this moment for him where it was no longer an accessory, but it was a true identity. Where he moved from just knowing about God and all that God has in store for us to truly understanding that I am a chosen, beloved, worthy, and valued child of God. And I'm going to live my life like that. You see, for so many of us, we've probably known who God is. Or who God was for somebody else. But we've never placed our trust truly and fully, deeply into who he is in our own lives. There's a moment where I think for many of us, when things change. I remember the moment for me when it changed, when it went from being an accessory to an identity. I remember that moment distinctly where God just radically captured my heart and said, Kyle, do you actually believe what you say you believe? Or are you just giving lip service to me? Because if you actually believe what you say you believe, your life would look differently. And from that moment on, things started to shift and change. It could no longer be tucked away in my shirt. I could no longer hide it. Because the cross works when you wear it as an identity and not just an accessory. 
There's many walking around who have this accessory type of lifestyle for a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But I mean, Friday night and maybe Saturday night, maybe not those two nights. Because those two nights, I I like to do certain stuff that eh, maybe doesn't fit in with this. I'm a Christian. I'll just tuck the cross away, though, on Friday night and Saturday night. I'm a Christian. But, but when it comes to having an interaction with this group of people, I, I'm just going to tuck it away because I don't want to. Or maybe for even some of us, I'm a Christian, but don't ask me to forgive that person, because they've hurt me so deeply and badly that I don't want to show God's love and grace to them. I'll just tuck it away. But when we understand that being a Christian is not an accessory, it's an identity. We don't get to pick and choose when we walk in that. Rather, when God calls us and gives us an opportunity to walk in that, we have the opportunity through his power to act as Jesus, to live as Jesus. It's a heart shift. It's an internal revelation leading to an external declaration in our lives. And I don't know about you, maybe there's a few of us here sitting in this room that maybe we've been putting off baptism. Maybe we've been putting it off. Ah, it's just not the right time. I don't know how to say it. It's like, is it ever? Uh, is it ever? Like, is there going to be a neon flashing light driving down the highway today that said, hey, yesterday was the right time. You missed it. But it is it ever? It, there might be a million other excuses. Maybe for some of us, we've been feeling this nudge that I need to get baptized. And ah, you know what, though? I was... I'm pretty sure I think I was maybe, maybe baptized. I don't really know. I got pushed in a pool one time at a youth group event. Does that count? And maybe we have this question of maybe we are baptized as an infant, but we don't really know. Or what does that mean? How do we wrestle with that internally? I don't know where you are, but I just want to share this with you. If you have any questions, if you have any nudge about being baptized, can I just have a a conversation with you? Can I just have a conversation with you? And if you want to be baptized, we have another baptism service coming up next month. That's when it's scheduled. And I'd love to be able to baptize people on that service. So if you're interested in being baptized, if you are, are feeling nudged to be baptized, I'd love to have a conversation with you about taking that step in your faith. Because it's a step where we get to celebrate your public proclamation of what God has done and is doing in your life. And that's something that we as a church celebrate. We as a church celebrate. And as we close today, I just, I want to reflect back on one thing of Tim Keller that he said that just, I think, really puts this into a good perspective. And then I just want to lead us through maybe a moment where we can just reflect together. And so as we close today, Josh, I want to have Josh come up and um, 
Tim Keller, he puts it this way, and this is what he says about it. Religion or law says, if I obey, then God will love and accept me. If, if I obey, then God will love and accept me. But Jesus in the gospel says that I am loved and accepted. Therefore, I wish to obey. I think a lot of us have probably felt like that first one. I think a lot of us probably have felt like, well, I have to figure this all out. I have to obey. I have to get everything right before I will be accepted or loved by God. Can you just do me a favor real quick? Can you just close your eyes? I know for some of us, this might feel awkward. Even at home, can you just close your eyes for a moment? You see, the law was never designed to be our savior. The law points us to our savior, Jesus Christ. The law was always designed to point to Jesus. And so maybe this morning, if you're sitting here, if you're watching online, if you're sitting in this room, would you just take a moment? And would you just ask God to tune your ear and your heart to what he is speaking to you today? And maybe for some of us, we need to release this idea that we've had to follow all these rules and get everything together before we come to him. Would you just listen to Jesus's voice, whisper in your ear right now, just come to me. Would you just see the father's arms as they wide open, welcoming you into his presence? Just come to me. As you're stripping away the weight of the world, stripping away the weight of the law, stripping away the weight of all of these rules that you feel have been putting on you, the weight of the world, the brokenness that you feel, the things you can't control, would you just slowly let that fall off your shoulders as Jesus just says, come to me, come follow me. Would you lean into his grace, lean into his love, Trust that our faith is not a set of rules to follow. Rather, it's a new identity in him. Would you take a slow breath in? Breathe in his presence. Breathe in his spirit. And exhale out the worries of your world. The weight of the world. Exhale out the things that are just bogging you down. Leave the weight of sin and embrace the freedom in him. Embrace that you have been made a new creation in Christ. That your sin no longer defines you. That what is defining you is his love, his grace, his mercy, his passionate passionate love for his children. Breathe that in today. Father, as we just sit in your presence, as we sit in this moment, I ask that right now, right here, that you would just pour out your spirit to us. And many of us have probably walked in here thinking that we have to 
have certain things done or get things in line maybe even, Lord, before we can come into your presence. Father, I ask that you would just move, move all of that to the side, Lord. I ask that right now that you would just open the gates of your throne room, that we would see you in all of your glory, that we would walk into a million angels just singing your praises, Father. Would you allow us just to get a glimpse of their voices, a glimpse of your praises that are filling the heaven, heavenly realm right now, Lord? Would we welcome ourselves? Would we walk into this presence of you on your throne and be in awe that you have chosen to call us your beloved child, that we are wanted, that we are valued and needed, And God, would you just continue to strip off the weight, the burdens? And would we just soak in your presence, Lord? Would we just soak in your glory as we sit in the throne room today? In your presence, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would just continue, Lord. Continue to just show us your heart. Show us your glory. And everything, Father, we give this, we give you our lives, we give you this day. We praise in your name. Amen.